Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Ben here, and I'm delighted to be joined by Christina Jones. She's recently set up her own business, Christina Jones Reward Consulting. Christine, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Why don't we dive in, and perhaps you could start by giving us your background and why it is you moved into the consulting space. Yeah, sure. So um, I have a background in HR of around about 15 years, but the last eight or nine years of that, I've worked specifically in reward or compensation and benefits, as some organisations would call it. And I was um, made redundant, actually, from my last permanent position. And that just made me, I think, think about what I really wanted to do going forward um reward works on a cyclical basis so you do very much the same tasks at the same time each year and I felt like I'd pretty much done those processes to death mostly um and felt that just by doing something a bit different it would bring a little bit more variety into my work which is what I was really looking for and um I at the time, hadn't really considered um, consulting, but I got contacted by another reward consultant that I knew, and she had a little bit too much work and mm-hmm. said, you know, would I be interested in helping her out for a little bit while I looked for something else? And it really just made me think, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I will. I'll give that a go. And um, that's kind of how it started for me. Yeah, that's actually a really powerful method of getting clients and or getting work, the partnerships approach. So that's great. Yeah. What consulting do you do and who are your ideal clients or who you're aiming for? So I specialize in rewards. So that can cover things like salary benchmarking, creating pay frameworks, incentives like bonus or commission, employee benefits, recognition, um, engagement and well-being, things like that. A lot of the clients I've worked with to date are large corporates that already have a reward team in place, but don't have the time or resource to focus on a particular area or a piece of work. So I find that works really well because it's more about um, scratching an existing itch. Leaders are generally already brought in, which is half the battle. Um, but going forward, I am starting to direct my marketing at HR consultants who may be working with a client who doesn't yet have a reward strategy, but is starting to think about it. And for me, that kind of client would be great because you can really think outside the box if they're starting from scratch. Um, but I don't really look at any one industry. I've got experience working in FMCGs, manufacturing, retail, but I'm open to working with different industries. And I think the key is just taking the time to understand the client and what they need. What's the uh, minimum headcount of, of an employer? Because they're not going to need reward or comp and bends until it hits a certain headcount, I imagine, right? Yeah, that's right. I think probably you'd be looking at at least 100 or 150-ish to start feeling like they needed reward specialism. I think smaller companies can get the basics from um, HR consultants because generally what they'll be looking at is 
is the basics of pay and things like pensions before they start to really think about putting any sort of other employee benefits or any sort of framework in there. I think when you start to get to that, that kind of 100 number, that's when you need to start to think about having a structure in place because you're a growing business and it can really quickly um, grow before you've had a chance to um, think about your strategy and, and, and that can be as simple as just what's the fairest way to pay people and how are we going to make sure that we don't end up being unequal to anybody. Absolutely. What about employee stock options and things like that in the tech world? Is that something that is prevalent in, in this area? So like shares and yeah. Is that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's probably something that you see in larger organisations and certainly something that um, I guess is, is seen as more of an exec level pay, but a lot of organisations do share plans, share save schemes, and you know it's um it's a great way to get employees to save into the business and we've seen a lot of success in companies where people have had the opportunity to do that not everybody does it but it's certainly one to consider sure very good okay so what are the typical outcomes that the client companies get when they work with you well so far it's been around getting something done that has been on the agenda for ages but just keeps getting put to the back of the queue um, and I guess in that scenario, it's a win for everybody because the company's already identified that there is a need to make a change. So clearly something isn't working for either the employees or the company and it does need fixing, which is what I've gone in to do. Um, I recently worked with a well-known brand to review their private health trust and it had been started at least three times previously. Um, but changes in team members and other priorities meant it never really got going and they knew that they needed to do something and they were desperate to get this one ticked off the list so it was just great to go in and just get on with it and, and get it done for them. Very good. What other kinds of nagging problems do they have? I think it's generally things where either they're getting noise from employees which is where you know some, something clearly isn't working but it's identifying what that is and what they can do about it it could be that they're not getting the return on investment for a benefit so you know they've um they've paid a lot of money to get a benefit in place and people just aren't that bothered about it or it could be that they i guess going back to our um previous example where the business is just starting to grow and it could be that they um, need to start thinking about putting more in place for employees either to attract um, new talent into the business or perhaps to retain talent so if they're finding that people are leaving getting to the crux of of why and whether that could be related to reward yeah in all my years of marketing and in hr i've noticed that probably pain sells better than gain so for instance when we write things like employee retention employers don't try to strengthen their retention they try to stem the tide they're worried about turnover or the one you mentioned there about the underperforming reward mm. benefit that that's lost for them yeah, yeah exactly i mean i mean when it starts to impact on the bottom line then that's when it's going to get the attention of the people that can make those decisions. So, but it's, you know, sometimes it takes it getting to that stage before 
they really start to think about it. So it's almost trying to fix something that's completely broken instead of identifying it early on and making subtle changes to stop you getting there in the first place. One of the joys of consulting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what's good and not so good about making the move from the corporate world to becoming an independent consultant? Well, one of the things that really surprised me um, was that very few people actually knew what reward was. So I was so used to working in large corporates where reward was part and parcel of HR and everyone just knew what you did. So that was a bit of a reality check because I almost had to think of how I could explain what I did um, without rambling on and sounding really techy. So um, that was that was a bit of a strange one. I didn't expect that. But I love the flexibility that being self-employed brings. But I do think you have to manage your time in a completely different way, especially if the client you're working with is not on a full time basis. The temptation is to make yourself available 100 percent of the time and you're not being paid for that. And it kind of goes against the aim of being flexible. So that's something, you know, that you've got to think about differently. And it can be quite an anxious time because you're used to being on a regular income and then moving to not knowing when you're going to get your next client is difficult. And I guess it can lead to the temptation of taking work that you don't really want to and then potentially missing out on something that comes later because you're already committed. So it's a bit of a juggle and something that I think will take time to master. But I'm really enjoying the variety, the flexibility. And I guess I feel like I have more control over what I do next so it's my business and it's all in my hands really and it's making me go and do things like networking that I would never have done in the past. Absolutely yeah that's great that you're enjoying it It can be a lot of fun yeah that's great. How did you get your first clients? My first clients were actually through another reward consultant who um, contacted me to say that she had Um, almost too much work coming in um, and she didn't have the time to do it so she's been um, very kind in passing work over to me and um, she's been doing it for a number of years she's built up a great network and she has a few associates that she actually passes work on to whereas I'm right at the beginning of that journey and still trying to grow my own network and create some leads but I recently did a post on LinkedIn and I directed it specifically to HR consultants and HR directors in my network with an overview of what I do, just asking them to get in touch if there's anything I could help with. And that's generated contact from a few people, um, including yourself. So that's how um, we got to do this. So I was just really pleased to see that it achieved those first few steps and um, hopefully um, that will lead um, into some um, contact with more clients in the future. That's fantastic. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Which HR companies or consultants do you think market themselves well and what is it that they do well? I've connected with so many new people in the last few months and those that stick out for me are the ones who are a little bit creative with their posts so they use videos or animation something a little bit different but I guess as a reward specialist the companies that I look out for are those that are going to be able to build my knowledge and tell me something that I don't already know so it's about being the first to post about 
how to tackle a new piece of legislation or someone that offers a different angle on something. But even then, with so many people posting on LinkedIn and, and different forums, theirs has to stand out either by a snappy title or an interesting graphic. And then after that, it tends to build on reputation and I'll know whose posts I want to read and those that I'll just skip over. So there's an interesting lesson in that, that if, if a person posts frequently, but they post stuff that's not very interesting, it's just superficial, then you're training people to ignore it. Yeah, and, and I think it's a difficult one to learn because when you are self-employed, that is the way to get your name out there and get people to know you. But you've got to be so careful about the content that you go with because it has to be relevant. And I think there's a danger that you want to post frequently, but you perhaps don't know what to post about and you end up doing something quite generic that people just aren't interested in. Good point. And to add into the mix that um, LinkedIn is surely to go the way of Facebook. So Facebook people could post something and everyone would see it. And then gradually the percentage of people that would see your post decreased till it was close to zero. And the reason for that is that they wanted people to spend ads. Maybe LinkedIn will find some sort of balance, but they will certainly people are noticing that their views and interactions are decreasing as their algorithm changes. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't really take much notice of that when I was um, employed, I, I, you know, because I used LinkedIn in a completely different way. And now I'm so, um, I'm, I'm really looking at, at people that post and how many views they get and how many likes they get. And, and again, when I post myself, you know, quite a few people will view it, but actually how many people will um, will like it or comment on it is, is such a small percentage. So it's really interesting, the conversion rates on LinkedIn. Um, and it can go either way, I suppose. Yes, that's very true. Okay, so what are your thoughts on smoothing out cash flow by either systemizing your services or productizing your knowledge or by partnering with other HR companies? Well, I'm probably uh, a bit too new to be able to comment on it too much, but what I have seen people do is put their knowledge into webinars and training courses to generate an income. And I think that works really well. People are always really keen to learn from others' experiences and it sets you up as the expert in that area. So once you've got your connections, people start to look to you to help them in a certain area. So I think that can work really well. And partnering with other HR companies just makes perfect sense. You know, um, there are a lot of HR companies, consultants out there, and, and lots of them will specialise in particular areas or even those that are generalist, um, you know, will get to a point where they're not 100% sure on a particular subject. And that's where if you've done the work to make the connections, hopefully they'll start to think that, you know, you're the person that they might be able to contact to help them. Definitely. And for people listening to this, that's such an important point. I know from my own experience that my biggest uh, contract or the first of the big contracts came when I partnered up with a slightly larger organization. They didn't have some of the stuff that we did. We partnered up, went in under their umbrella, but performed the work visibly and so on and opened up a world of new work. Yeah. And you see that, you see that a lot in the reward industry with um, benefits providers, you know, they start off with with one product and 
they see an opportunity to link in with another provider and it just makes it so much easier because you ultimately have one person to contact that can offer a range of different benefits that are all linked so it's the same principle i think yes what about on software or consulting programs and things are there referral programs for those so for instance an hr consultant who's a generalist might refer in i don't know a um, an hr information system but on mm. the reward side can you refer in a what is it towers watson or something yeah i mean i've worked with a number of um different providers in the past and different um you know like towers watson that provide benchmarking services or you know bits and pieces like that and um i think it's it gives me a good background to be able to say in a particular organization this would work well for you or that would so yeah that there's um there's definitely the opportunity to do that and I think in most cases um the clients almost need that that software you know if I think about employee benefits having one place to host everything is so much easier for the employee than having to you know search around the internet or, or the intranet to find things and you know have a, a host of different logon details to different platforms so yeah absolutely i think there's always the opportunity to think about that and moving from being a permanent employee opens up access to so many other providers that you might not have worked with in the past as well so there's loads that i've um, that i'm now aware of that i wasn't before very good the hr and reward industry continues to evolve at a rapid rate what what change and challenges do you see now and into the future well, I think pay will continue to put pressure on organisations and that inevitably means budgets are squeezed and companies need to rethink their spend. I think that will have a big impact on employee benefits and how we can continue to give employees something extra, but for little cost. So it kind of pushes you to be a little bit more creative. I think flexibility continues to be an area that a lot of companies strive to offer but struggle to put into practice, especially the larger, more traditional organisations. And I think we've already started to and we'll continue to see some great examples of people starting to try that out. Um, and then I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on HR teams to keep up with all of the new legislation that's coming in around pay reporting. So gender pay reporting and now race reporting ceo pay ratio reporting none of these things are quick jobs and you need to get them right but it highlights the massive gap hr seems to have in having robust data and how difficult it is to get what you need to run all those numbers and it goes back to your previous question about software and having everything in one place it just would make the job so much easier yes all right just to wrap up then, do you have any general advice for people relatively new into their consulting career? I think my advice would be to, um, to start to grow your network as soon as you can, even when you're in a permanent position. If you're starting to think about moving into um, self-employed and consultancy, then the earlier you can start building that network, the better, because that does take time. And I guess it's just about um, thinking of the best way to have all of the resources available to you. So, um, you know, thinking about all the great work that you did when you were a permanent employee and how you can um, 
draw on those experiences as you move into the consultancy um, area. So, yeah, I, I think it's just something that um, takes time. I don't think you can move into consultancy or being self-employed and expect to be working five days a week and, you know, earning lots of money from day one. It takes time. And so I suppose probably the key message there is about resilience and um, holding your nerve and remembering why you've made that decision and just giving it time. Yeah, that's good yeah. advice. Okay, so Christina, thank you very much. We've covered a lot of ground. You give us some great insights and advice. So thank you for that. If people want to get in touch with you to either learn more about what you do or to try to work with you or refer clients to you, what's the best way of them doing that? Yeah, so I'm I'm on LinkedIn. So just search for Christina Jones um, Reward Consultant on LinkedIn, or you can contact me on my email address, which is Christina Jones Reward at Outlook.com. Very good. And I'll put that into the show notes as well for people to Great. refer to. Christina, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.